Hi, I'm Marissa Bell. I'm vice president here at ClareVest. And Found Health to me is an opportunity to invest in solving healthcare needs for women. Business is personal. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interview Marissa Bell, the Vice President of Private Equity at Claire Vest Group. Marissa joined Claire Vest focusing on women's health care and is involved in all areas of the investment process. She is a chartered accountant and has held various roles in investment and corporate banking. Marissa is also a recipient of the Women in Capital Markets in 2021 Emerging Leader Award. ClareVest is a top-performing private equity management firm with over $3.2 billion of capital under management. Founded in 1987 by a group of successful entrepreneurs, ClareVest's mission is to partner with entrepreneurs to help them build strategically significant businesses. In this interview, we discuss the basics of private equity, like what it is and how it works, private equity's growing interest in women's health, which was even fascinating to me, and advice to founders on how to prepare your business for a potential private equity investment. This is a great opportunity for hearing the opinions of some of the largest investors in the world on why they predict the next wave of healthcare is women's health. You can learn more about ClareVest at www.clairevest.com, and all of the relevant links will be in our show notes. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Marissa, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks so much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you on. I think we're coming up on almost a year since we met in Boston. Do you remember that? I certainly do. I was a huge femtech fan, fangirling at you. So I, I definitely remember. I got a message from you being like, hey, I see you're going to a conference. I'm also going to. Do you want to get coffee? And I like looked you up and I was like, oh, this lady looks like a really big deal. Like, oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can get coffee. And then you, uh, I brought Q with me, my little dog. And I was like, I don't know if this lady's cool or like if she's too high up there, like, should I bring my dog? But you love Q. So, and then it was like friendship from, from the get-go. <laughs> I'm always a big proponent of people being who they are. And Q is a big part of you. I'm happy to, uh, happy to have them. That's awesome. Well, Marissa, uh, I'm actually really excited to learn more about your personal background. We love to kick every episode off, just learning a little bit more about our guest because most people don't, uh, you know, wake up or are born in kindergarten saying, I'm going to work in femtech, right? So it's usually this long progression of actions that happen. So tell us a little bit about where you're from. What did you study? A little bit about your background and what are you up to nowadays? Yeah, sure. So for those of you who haven't met me, my name is Marissa Bell. Um, I am a vice president at ClareVest Group. Uh, a little bit of background on ClareVest. So we're a growth-focused private equity fund, and we invest minority capital alongside entrepreneurs in sectors that we believe have strong tailwinds. And women's healthcare is certainly one of those. So I'm very excited to be here today talking about that. Uh, we have a little over $3 billion in assets under management. 
and uh, are on our sixth fund. So we've been doing this for over 30 years. I, I personally have not, uh, but uh, my partners have, and they, uh, they are fantastic. And mm-hmm. uh, so we actually deploy most of our capital in North America. So that's the U.S. predominantly, despite the fact that we're based out of, uh, based out of Toronto. And uh, we like to think of ourselves as entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Uh, and so our job is to really help grow not only the company, but also the entrepreneurs themselves into uh, strategically significant businesses. Why is that important? So I grew up in uh, in an entrepreneurial household. Pretty sure my dad had me working since the age of 12. So if you count that, I have multiple decades of experience uh, in, <laughs> in, in this field. Um, but prior to joining Clarevest, uh, I was the head of capital markets and corporate finance for George Wesson Limited, uh, which for those of you who don't know it, it is Canada's largest food and drug retailer, REIT and provider of financial services. So it's a pretty big corporation here in Canada. It's about $75 billion in size. Uh, I've also had various roles in investment banking and corporate banking at top tier banks here in Canada. And my my main objectives there were to to assist companies with their growth objectives, which sort of led me to Clarevest eventually uh, through mergers and acquisitions, uh, debt financings, equity financings, that includes IPOs, uh, and have worked on probably over, I don't know, maybe $25 billion worth of transactions. So that said, I am an, uh, an accountant by trade. So for those of you who are CAs or CPAs in the U.S., um, we are, we are, we are one and, uh, <laughs> I do have a, a background in finance. So in terms of, I mean, who I am, I am very passionate about this, not just being a woman myself. Um, but I'm also involved in supporting the development of, uh, young, young adolescent women and empowering them through athletics and sports and to foster lasting involvement. I think that there's a huge benefit uh, to women continuing to to develop in sports from a teamwork perspective, uh, as well as a creativity perspective as well. And uh, while I'm certainly not a very good one, I am a little bit of an athlete myself. I am uh, training for my first half Ironman ever this summer. So fingers crossed it will get done. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a big feat for me if I can get there. So, um, (laughs) you know, I have a t-shirt that says female, the original Iron Man and the F E is like in that little, like, you know, chemistry box. It's one of my favorite shirts. Yeah. So you got it girl. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to give it a go, but uh, it's it really was a sort of an evolution for me over the years of growing up in finance and growing up in a family where I grew up in an entrepreneurial household and wanting to just be able to help people like my dad's company. Uh, and so now I get to sit at this great fund where we get to invest in things that we're very passionate about. And uh, yeah, excited to to talk to you about that. Yes. Well, before we jump into, you know, why women's health, how women's health, what, let's just lay the groundwork here. What is private equity? Uh, I hear it as PE. I know it's like big, big money. You know, I think about the word mezzanine stage, you're right. Like mm-hmm. these are the words that come up for me, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't really understand it. So why don't you give us a little like 411 on what is private equity? For sure. And I'm actually even going to take it a step back a little bit because I find, at least when I talk to a lot of people in the space, specifically in women's healthcare, that there's very 
there's a lot of confusion rather as to, wait a second, private equity, venture capital, angel Mm -hmm. investors, what do you all do? Who do I talk to? Why do I talk to one versus the other? And and the long and the short of it is it really depends on where you're at in your business life cycle. So if you can put your your business school hat on, if you ever went to business school and go back to that, you know, that curve that starts with the business life cycle where you're sort of at seed and development stage, you're pre-revenue, you're very conceptual, you're still developing things. That's that's sort of the friends and family round or the uh, the angel investor round. Uh, if you can get government grants, that's even better, non, non-dilutive capital forms. And so that, that's where you really slot in. You then move into the startup phase where you've got product iterations and continuous product development. You probably have some revenue and a little bit of proof concept that's more the venture capital stage. And there's tons around. And I know you've done uh, previous podcasts on venture capital. So I certainly, that's not my area of expertise. But if you're really you know, pre-profitability, you haven't really hit private equity yet. And so then you move into the growth and just kind of drawing the curve with my hands, you move into this growth and establishment phase. And that's where you're generating EBITDA, as we call it, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And when you're generating EBITDA, you're in this growth stage of the business cycle. And that's where private equity starts to come in. So you'll hear different types of terms. You've got mid-market private equity, which is actually what we do. So mid-market private equity, for us at least, is call it 10 billion, uh, 10 billion, wow, that would be big, 10 million (laughs) of EBITDA to about 50 million of EBITDA. And that's where we really start to look at companies of that size. There's lower mid-market, so they might be a little bit smaller than that. And really, there's two types of funds. And I'll explain how the funds work in a second. Sorry, go ahead. Can I ask you one quick question yeah, to clarify? We don't need to learn about EBITDA here. I was like, who the hell okay. is Mr. EBITDA when I first got into entrepreneurship, right? We don't need to know all the details of it. But that number, that 10 million EBITDA, that's like the money left in the bank for the business after taxes and everything, right? Is that what that number exactly. represents? It's actually pre-tax. Pre-tax, so okay. the way we look at EBITDA, the reason we look at EBITDA versus, say, net income or earnings, and it really does depend on the business, but for the most part, EBITDA is because it's a representation of cash flow. So mm-hmm. usually EBITDA mirrors cash flow in some businesses. It doesn't, um, but it's it's a proxy for cash flow. And it also, it's the number or the the dollars that you have before paying for anything in your capital structure. So debt or equity. So it's that number that can get distributed to those holders. Um, and so we we like to look at EBITDA because again, it's just a proxy for cash flow. Thank you for defining that a little bit more for us. No, no problem at all. So when we look at the sizes of those companies, Really, what we're there's a different couple different types of funds. So there's buyout funds, and then there's growth equity funds. Okay. And buyout funds, and I'll explain how private equity actually like the structure works in a bit. But buyout funds, they basically buy out, as the name suggests, a hundred percent of the company for the most part. And so they're gonna they're gonna buy your company from you. They're gonna go probably you know change management, help it grow, move on. In terms of growth equity, which is predominantly what Clarvus does, is we invest, just as the name again suggests, 
equity for your growth alongside you. Mm -hmm. And we have a specific type of model where we actually are partners with you. So we we believe that the person that generally built the business, you call it a founder, call it an entrepreneur, uh, they are usually, it's their baby. They're, they're one of the best people to actually to run the business. And so we partner alongside really good management teams to help them in a number of ways. That's to grow uh, accelerate growth, whether it be through mergers and acquisitions or what we like to call greenfield investments. So that's maybe setting up a new clinic, for example, um, transitioning ownership. So all those previous investors that were there before, you want to maybe transition over some of that ownership. So we'll, we'll help you with that. Sometimes you have too much debt on your balance sheet. Uh, so we'll help you reduce your debt. And what that really does is it allows you to grow because your balance sheet, if it's too over levered, it could constrain your growth. Um, we'll invest in efficiencies, uh, reduce personnel risk by diversifying uh, assets. So that could be you taking some chips off the table out of your company. But ultimately, growth equity is for just that. It's for growth. Then you can move into the expansion phase. Expansion phase is, I'd say, much bigger companies than the sort of $50 million of EBITDA that I was discussing. Those are those really big companies. And private equity still plays there. They're just different types of private equity. We call them mega funds. So mega funds are things people like KKR, Apollo, Blackstone, Brookfield, those really big names that you hear about in the news all the time, those are mega funds. And those are when you have really big companies, usually, uh, they're going to put a lot more capital into there. And by the way, it doesn't have to be equity. It can be debt as well. So there are debt funds and there are equity funds. Last stage of the business cycle, again, if you remember your business books, is maturity or exit stage. And private equity can still play there. Uh, sometimes they'll have like runoff funds or the like. Uh, but nonetheless, between growth and maturity, you could also have public markets too, right? So private equity, or you call it PE, Brittany, mm -hmm. uh, you're really up with the lingo, is that <laughs> literally just that. It's private capital. But in all of those stages, you also have the public markets. So a lot of you know people will talk to me about, oh, IPOs, I want to be in the public markets, right? And that's a whole different consideration, uh, whether you should actually be a company that's public, because there's a lot of other considerations that go into it. Are you the right type of company for the public markets? Um, which this is not a podcast on public markets, but yeah. if anybody ever <laughs> wants to have me back, I'm yep. uh, <laughs> happy to go 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 through that. So that's sort of where you will see the different types of investors. And when we think about, okay, how does a private equity fund actually work, mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, fine, I'm going to you. You're going to help me with all these growth balance sheet things that you talked about. How do I act? How, how does my fund, how does a fund actually work? Yeah. So here's how it works. So we receive as the fund, we receive our money from investors. Investors include pension funds, insurance companies, endowments, foundations, sovereign wealth funds, and sometimes high net worth individuals or family offices. And so they, they give us their capital. They say, hi, private equity fund, please go invest this on my behalf. Now, why What's would like they do that? 
What's like a typical minimum investment at that level? You know, because I think of angel minimum investments, usually 10,000 is the lease and you get to um, VC, it's usually 250,000. So like when you get to the PE level, what's your typical minimum check size from these investors? It really depends on if you're a mid-market fund or a mega mega fund, right? Because so just to to give you some context, like our fund size, our most recent fund that we raised was 850 million US. Mm -hmm. And so if you start to take little bits from a lot of people, that becomes very complicated to manage a lot of different. Talk about a cap table. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly, exactly. Talk (laughs) about a cap table. So generally, depending on the size of the fund, we'll set our minimums. Um, based on the size of the fund. So if it it was only, say, a 200 million fund, well, of course, it's going to be a little bit smaller. So definitely bigger than what you were mentioning for some of your others. Um, But uh, yeah, it really depends on the the, the fund. Got it. And so where I was sort of going with that is, is why would all of these investors give it to a private equity fund, right? Like pension funds actually do sometimes have their own private equity funds that they invest out of. Um, and, and usually the reason is threefold. It's one, we know how to do it. We have the sourcing capabilities, the investment capabilities uh, that perhaps they don't internally have. Two, we have good returns. We can make a better return than they can on their fund or if they were to do it themselves. Three is diversification. So they might only have, I'm just making this up, $10 million to invest. Well, that might only be enough to really put it into one company. But if they put it with us, we're gonna put it in a bunch of different companies because we're pooling it with a bunch of other capital. And so that's why somebody will invest with us. And and one of our actually differentiating factors, which we pride ourselves very much on, is we ourselves, the partners at our own fund, are 30% of those dollars. So Mm -hmm. what that means, and that's pretty high, most of the time it's, you know, say maybe 5%, uh, it's pretty high. And what that means for companies we invest in is our interests are aligned because it's our dollars, not not third-party capital. It's, you know, the CEOs of this fund, the managing directors of this fund that actually own this company right alongside you. And mm-hmm. so what's good for you is good for us and our interests are aligned. Yeah. And so we then take that capital and we go deploy it into a number of investments. And specifically for us at Clarevest, we have industries that we really like. And we we believe that the industry comes first. You have to understand the industry before you can understand if it's going to be a good investment. Mm. And so women's healthcare is an industry we really like. And the partners here at the fund, they back back this. So I can spend uh, myself and the head of healthcare, uh, Angus Cole, can spend time looking at women's healthcare investment ideas. And so what that really leaves is how do we make money? Because we've invested in all these companies, but how do we actually make money? And so the way that that works is really private equity funds invest for a period of time. Think of it like a house. You go buy a house, you fix up the house, and then you go sell the house for more than you bought it. It's very similar in private equity. And and I use fix as a just a general term. A lot of times it's not that these companies need fixing. It's that we're there to help them just become bigger uh, 
or grow or serve their vision and purpose uh, as well as leave their legacy. And so generally you sell it for more than you bought it for. And because we have a partnership model where we might own less than 50%, the founder or the entrepreneur actually benefits the most in that. If they're not looking to sell it right away, if they're looking to sell the whole chunk, then yes, of course they're out. But our model is not like that. And so essentially what happens is once you sell that company, you then get the returns and those get distributed back up to your uh, your limited partners or your investors, your pension funds, insurance companies and the like. And then to the extent you've hit a certain return threshold, we share in the profits as the the private equity fund. And um, so every fund has different targets. Every fund has different durations of hold, different strategies on how they invest. And so, as I said, we, we have very much a partnership approach where we invest minority capital alongside the companies to help them grow. And we typically have longer duration holds. So we hold a company for over six years, uh, sometimes seven. We still have some that are even longer. Uh, it really just depends on when is the right time to, to exit that company. And we're not forcing anything if the market's not conducive or it doesn't really work. And so I think when people think about private equity, it's important to understand they're not all the same. Some funds will hold it for four years. Some funds will hold it for, you know, they'll flip it in three if they can. Uh, so it's really important to understand who you're working with. I hope that helps. <laughs> that was the best little lesson on private equity I think I've ever had. It's the first <laughs> and the best. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. How, you know, what I'd love to now dive into is how did you guys come up with women's health being a hot topic that you wanted to participate in? You know, is this a trend you're seeing in PE? Is this, you guys feel like you're really a thought leader in this? Tell me a little bit more about where women's health came in. Yeah. So when I joined the fund, we, you know how I said we are sort of entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We operate internally very entrepreneurial. And when I joined the fund, I, you know, had the huge opportunity that the partners here gave me to really think about some of the industries I thought would be investable and where there are great growth dynamics. And I actually came up with women's healthcare. And I can give you my rationale or my investment thesis in a minute. Uh, but I took it to the partners and everybody was hugely supportive, which I hear a lot around uh, private equity funds. But, oh, you know, women are sort of at mid, mid levels and they don't have a lot of say in what actually happens. And, and certainly here, that's not the case. I think I'm very supportive partners. And uh, as I said, the head of healthcare, whom I work with on this, is extremely successful in what he does and is a, a, a huge supporter of me as well. And so really it was a lot of conversations with where it started was with my friends and just listening to some of the issues that they were having, some of the issues that I might've been having, um, you know, speaking with people like you, Brittany, to really hear, oh, wait a second, maybe there's an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't thought of it because my background is actually predominantly financial services. Mm -hmm. So I worked for most of my career with wealth managers, asset managers, insurance companies, banks, and the like. 
and had never really thought of this subsector. Now, that's not to say I'm not experienced in healthcare. We have, as I said, 30 years of experience in healthcare. So um, maybe not me specifically in, in directly uh, other than this women's healthcare. And so I started digging into it a little bit and I'll throw a few stats at you, which really came to my attention. And Brittany, I'm sure these are actually from your report, so you don't need to hear them. <laughs> which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> validating, check. Validating, validating <laughs> your report. Exactly. But uh, maybe for your users, just to hear even yeah. how they impact investors as well. Yeah. When you hear things like 1993, basically the year that women were mandated to be included in clinical trials. And you still even have today where more research is required, which actually segregates the data and by gender and even further by race, you think, okay, wait a second, there's some data issues here. And okay, you've got 30 years, so things are starting to move. So maybe now is an interesting point. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Then you hear things like 80%. More than 80% of healthcare decisions in the US are made by women, whether it be themselves, spouses, families, parents, kids, I could go on. Uh, I'm sure they're dogs too, though. That's not yeah. really <laughs> Or cats, if you're a cat person, we don't want to leave anybody out. Um, 2.7 times, which is the maternal mortality rate in the US is 2.7 times higher than the next industrialized nation. And that's just deaths per 100,000 live births. 30%. Women are 30% more likely than men to have health concerns misdiagnosed. So mm -hmm. I, it, when you look at the landscape and you look at the opportunity, you think, okay, there's, there's, there's clearly a need here. There's mm -hmm. something happening. And I, I hear it all over the place. And one of the things you learn as an investor is not to use your own personal experience for investment capabilities, because there's so much more breadth and depth than you yourself see in your own little narrow world. But that was the sort of climax point for me saying, wait a second, let's listen a little bit more. And so why now? Because all of these things have been a concern for some time. It isn't new that some of these things have come out. They didn't just pop up now. And I think that a couple of things have shifted, making now a turning point uh, or tipping point if you're a uh, Malcolm Gladwell fan. Um, the times are the times are changing and women have a little bit more power. Mm -hmm. um, women's bodies are becoming more normalized and there's a greater acceptance for our differences. Uh, thank you, celebrities. If anybody's listening, Brittany, I hope celebrities are listening to your podcast. I hope so. <laughs> Pink, um, Serena, yeah. <laughs> Michelle Obama, hello. Exactly. <laughs> <Call> me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe you can be on the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, previously, you know, women were shamed for a lot of these, a lot of these issues. And we think that, you know, this sounds really small, but it's not. It's a, it's a huge shift and a demand driver for answers. Mm -hmm. And when you look at now that women are more educated. They participate more in STEM, uh, where they can solve some of these needs. And women are now half of the workforce, maybe not half of the senior workforce. And they certainly represent much more in the healthcare industry than, uh, say, other industries. But 50% of all jobs in the U.S. are held by women. And employers are beginning to understand that women have different medical needs and are starting to pay attention in order to maintain productivity. 
fertility is a really good example of this, mm-hmm. right? You've started to see fertility benefits in corporate America. And, and I, I have no doubt you will start to see other benefits as well, just given the sheer impact that women have on the economy. And women are expected to benefit more from wealth transfers in the next 20 years. So there is demand. And uh, not only for women that are looking for answers because they're more educated, but also, you know, women are sick more than men. They live longer. They care more about generally health and wellness and will spend more money on it. Um, And even further, you've got other trends like women are having children later in life where that just presents a need for other considerations. So the demand is there. And thank you to, you know, your report. We we understand a little bit more about the growth of the industry. And it's a pretty big market. And there's also a lot of unmet needs and gaps. And that's where usually there's opportunity. So as an investor, we don't just look at specific business, because that's sort of the next step. You look at where's the industry going? Is the industry going to grow? And who's most or who's well positioned to grow in that industry. And so a lot of people tell me things like, oh, but like people don't invest in women's healthcare. It's like, yeah, you're right. There's, you know, 4%, I think is the number I last heard. It changes every time I talk to somebody different, but research and development for healthcare goes to women's health. And 2% of capital is usually only raised by female founders. And then when you look at the investor side, you've got, you know, 90 to 95% of the investors are also men. So it's it's not their mm-hmm. fault. It just doesn't come to their attention to yeah. think, oh, wait a second. I wonder how, you know, birthing is going for uh for this for for this woman. They may have experienced it because they have wives or, you know, uh uh kids that are women, or, but it's not necessarily at the forefront. And, and yeah. because of all the dynamics I've talked about, we, we are, I think we are going to see some of that shift and people are paying a little bit closer attention now. And, you know, I'd like to also change some of that. I think we, we, we hear at Clairvest, we see the need, we see the demand, and it's just a matter about finding the right spots, you know, in those private equity verticals, as I talked mm-hmm. about, not the angel venture sort of, sort of areas Um, And in finding those right companies along their journey, more conversations lead to more people understanding, which in fact leads to more investors too. So it's all a life cycle. I love it. Do you think that there's enough companies at the PE stage in in women's health right now? Because we know we're so early stage heavy. There's so many pre-seed companies. Do we have enough companies that are at your level yet? So I would say it really depends on the subsectors, right? You asked me a little bit about where, where has, or what role has PE played in women's healthcare so mm-hmm. far? And so we did, you know, initially, I would say the biggest area that you saw private equity was in the OBGYN clinic space or the women's health hospitals, uh, because they're much bigger, right? And so I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like, 20 OBGYN practices in the U.S. within a two-year span, call it five years ago. Mm -hmm. And so you saw a lot of investment in that space because there wasn't a lot of other little verticals at that time. It was like, wait, okay, we're seeing some of these demand factors. Women are probably a good investment thesis. I I mean, women's healthcare, really what I mean. 
And so we're going to invest in OBGYN clinics. And that's actually great. You know, it's, it's really helpful because then you can start to actually, you have the capital, you can actually start to innovate a little bit more underneath those OBG. If that's the first place to start, that's a great place. It's kind of like the center for a web of a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And so you've got, you had OBGYN clinics. That was your first sort of wave. And then you had fertility and fertility is still very much in, um, I would say in this phase of Mm -hmm. private equity investment. And is certainly an area that I focus on as well. And so you had, you had some really big deals announced in the last year, like KKR's uh, acquired IV IRMA, and that's a global fertility giant. That's, a, I think, $3 billion in euros um, acquisition. And following or follow that, that followed for KKR, the purchase of General Life, which is another sizable fertility clinic network. Um, you've had... I would say maybe a dozen fertility clinics changed hand in the last two years in the U.S. Mm -hmm. that I'm aware of. Uh, And so there's still a lot of investment happening in that space, a lot of consolidation happening in that space. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, you've got the women's hospitals, uh, unified uh, women's healthcare, I believe the value of that was around 1.5 billion. Uh, That's been invested by private equity. So you do have activity in this space. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, some of these earlier stage innovation companies, there's still room for them in a way in the private equity space, because if you've invested in a women's hospital or you've invested in an OBGYN clinic or invest in a fertility clinic, well, guess what? Those will invest sometimes in other innovative uh, ideas. So a good example, fertility clinics, there's we don't have enough data in fertility yet, but AI, data-driven solutions for how to increase success rates. That's very much an area that is being innovated and worked on. And you've got companies like Boston IVF investing in them. You've got lots of different companies. So to the extent they're private equity backed at the kind of more sizable company levels, there, there is room for, for that sort of innovation, but not directly. I would say the market for women's health is still nascent Mm -hmm. um, and does have a lot of work to do. But I also think that it's exciting to follow that over its life cycle and stage. And you see a lot of really great things happening um, Mm -hmm. at, at its infancy level. When you say the women's health industry has work to do, what are some things you have in mind? (laughs) <laughs> well, it's just that it's it's so new still, right? And it sounds mm-hmm. silly to say new uh, because, you know, we're 50% of the population and kind of always have been. But it's, it's more that there's not enough data yet for a lot of these things to exist. And so I think it starts with the data and it starts with the clinical trials. It starts at that level. And so I am certainly not an expert in this. So, so... I, I defer to all of the <laughs> physician experts yeah. to talk to this, not me. Um, but that's where innovation can come from. If you don't have the data, you can't analyze the data. You can't find the solutions. You can't understand the problem. And so that's where I think that there is there's some room or opportunity yeah. uh, for for advancement in the yeah. sector. And then there's putting it all together. 
Mm -hmm. right? It's a, it's a whole ecosystem of people that have to do their part, governments, investors, um, companies, and not only startups, but companies that exist today, uh, you know, investing or innovating themselves. So it's exciting. (laughs) Where do you think women's health will be in the next 10 years? Let's say. Well, hopefully uh, you and I will still not be talking about the same problems. That would be, uh, that would That'd be, be pretty ideal. great. That would be ideal. <laughs> well, I can't wait till we say, remember when, yeah. <laughs> remember when, exactly, exactly. And, and you know what? I shouldn't even call them problems because they're, they're just opportunities. And yeah. I think at any point in time, it's great when there's so much pent up demand for services and you can be an investor to actually help those companies bring that to fruition. Mm-hmm. And so at least in private equity, the next sort of wave that I see is in the menopause space. Menopause, okay. Menopause space. And and I could be totally wrong on that. And I will tell you that having worked in capital markets for uh, a decade, over a decade, uh, the market has a very funny way of always proving me wrong. So <laughs> I, I'm always wrong on these things, but... Um, the reason I, I say menopause, there's been a lot of buzz about it. Um, demographics, first one and foremost, is you, you clearly have an aging population with women, a big chunk of women moving into that stage of their life. Um, and you see a ton of articles these days where employers are actually starting to understand the potential for lost productivity. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a very key ingredient not only the demographics, but also the understanding of productivity loss or propelling an industry. Because honestly, if it was, uh, the industry was propelled purely based on like doing the right thing, we wouldn't have to have femtech. We would just be healthcare and the healthcare would be made specifically based on your sex and gender, whatever. Right. But the fact that you know, unfortunately, we don't live in a in a society where women's menstrual cramps are, uh, you know, paramount problem until women start to not go to work and then productivity is down and then revenue falls and then profit margins fall. And then that's when like the the people that be in charge say this is a problem that needs investment and addressing. Right. So it's like sucks that that's what it is, but you're absolutely right. Like why femtech now women are working and women are sick. And if women are sick, they can't perform as well. And we finally in a society realize that women are not replaceable. We're pretty badass, right? Like they, you need to keep us, you need to keep us healthy, happy and well, <laughs> and then we'll be awesome. But otherwise um, yeah, that's such interesting point. Yeah, I I would totally agree with you. And uh, right now, another kind of key ingredient is really the fragmentation around what some of the solutions are. And so that creates an opportunity uh, for optionality, but also to consolidate uh, what what exists there. And so it's really just finding areas where there are economic opportunities, but also, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it is a productive component of society, meaning they're solving problems for people, right? And it sounds silly to say, but if your business isn't viable, it can't actually get to the point where it solves people's problems because mm-hmm. it didn't get there. 
And so the whole, we go back to the ecosystem, the whole life cycle and all these industry dynamics are super important for founders to think through or entrepreneurs to think through. It's not just where are you today and are you solving a problem? You need to be solving a problem for a big enough number of people that it matters to the society and the economy as a whole. If you're solving a problem for two people, it's going to be really hard because it's probably going to cost you a lot of money and you're not going to, you know, actually be able to get to those people because it never really made it there. And so I love the the part about actually getting the help, right? It's like I, you know, I get to be part of that whole whole ecosystem where people not only get to leave their legacies, but also they get to solve a problem for a bigger majority of the population. And my job is to help them get there. Yeah. That's my favorite part. I think about femtech is that regardless of the stress or the disappointment or the excitement or the ups and downs, the end of the day, I'm working towards helping people who are going to improve the health of humans, right? Especially women. And so it's such a, a fruitful industry to work in. You know, before we wrap up here, what is some advice you might give to founders who are thinking about private equity being in their company's future? Yeah. So the one, the biggest word that I will leave with is preparation. So to have somebody come and look at your business, you need to be prepared to have them come and look at their your business. And so the first thing I always say to people is understand what your deal priorities are. What, what do you actually want? Are you looking for a full sale of the company? Are you looking for a majority private equity investor? Are you looking for a minority? How much of your company do you want to keep? And what do you want the money for? Those are the first two questions you have to ask yourself. And that second part, what do you want the money for, goes to, I would say, what is private equities or most investors' biggest considerations. What is your growth strategy? What are you looking to do? What is your vision? How are you going to grow into whatever your vision is, right? What do you need to do that? Because at the end of the day, we are here to support you with growth. Mm-hmm. And we're here to support you not only just with capital, um, and I can only really speak for our fund here, but also with you know structuring the company for its best, best positioning it to grow, right? A $2 million EBITDA company is very differently structured than a $100 million EBITDA mm-hmm. company. Because guess what? You can't do everything yourself anymore. You need to actually rely on other people. Mm-hmm. And how do you get there? I'm not even at 2 million and I depend a whole lot on my team. So yeah. (laughs) Right, right. But founders, I find that there's the scariest part about, you know, working with somebody like us. I hope I don't look scary, but is that they fear that they're giving away their baby the way that they did everything and we're going to change it. And it's Mm. not that, is they built something fantastic that we want to help them scale it to the next level. Because if they continue to do it the way that they do it now, it's not necessarily scalable. And we want to give them the tools to do that. We want to give them the relationships, open up doors for them. We know lots of banks. We know lots of industry professionals. Um, I can't tell them if it's fertility, how to actually do IVF. They need to do that. But um, we can open up a lot of doors for them. You know, a lot of founders sometimes have personal guarantees on their debt. Well, guess what? You don't need that anymore. Yeah. You got me. I'll do that. That's no Mm. problem. 
We can also, you know, we'll restructure the company. We'll put in in place sales organizations to help it actually grow. Mm. And then sometimes the people that you actually used to have in the company may not be the best for the future of the company. And that's a really hard thing for people to understand. We do it with empathy and compassion, um, but you have to really want to take your company to the next level because we do, and we agree to it together. This is why it's a partnership model is I've got the capital markets backgrounds and, you know, the growing the company part, but I, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know how to do IVF. I don't know what the trends are. I don't know what the research says. I don't know all of that. You know that yeah. you, you are still in control of your company. I am going to take a minority stake and I'm going to help you with acquisitions. I'm going to help you with, you know, legal and documentation and contracts and the like. So that generally, it's like, it's a very scary thing for people to want to give up their babies. Mm -hmm. And what I love about our partnership model is that you don't have to, (laughs) you know, we'll own less than you. It's totally no problem. And uh, we'll work with you to get there. So just going back to what your real, your question was, Brittany, is you got to know your deal priorities. You've got to, you've got to understand what your growth strategy or vision is. Like, what do you want out of this partnership? And then from a preparation standpoint, you've got to prepare, you know, segmented information, you know, serve it by service line, by geography, by client, things like that, so that we can dissect and understand. And really what it's for is to, again, help you turn it into a growth plan. You need to understand, you know, your competitive positioning in key markets, um, improve your quality of revenue. So contracted, is it diversified? Does it only come from one customer? It's probably you want to diversify that. You need to understand or compile and digitize legal documents, things like that. So it's really about knowing where you want to go before you get in the car. And that's uh, the founder of our fund, Ken Rotman, always says that. Know where you want to go before you get in the car. Um, and then just staying hum- humble and staying hungry. I think that that's because uh, there's a lot where we will both learn from each other. And above all is know who you're getting into bed with. So there's a lot of different funds, as I talked about before, that have a lot of different strategies. And so the advice I will leave you with is please do ask about the fund, right? Where does my capital come from? Who am Mm -hmm. I? How am I going to treat you in a bad time? Ask for references, which we happily provide. I'm happy to give you references to all of the companies that we've worked with. um, Because again, it's a partnership. And you don't want to wake up one day and realize that, oh, crap, I took capital, but I didn't really understand what I was getting into. And if any fund ever pushes back on that, they're probably, you know, you might want to consider whether they're a good partner for you. Marissa, this has been so incredible. Um, Let's rapid fire our last two questions that we always ask our guests. The first one is, if someone wanted to start a femtech startup, what's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Oh boy. I'm going to leave that one to the researchers. (laughs) I'm going to only comment on capital. (laughs) All right. Which area in women's health do you think needs more capital? I mean, all of them are going to need more capital. (laughs) Yeah. The answer is all of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're getting around the questions. You're good. You're really good. Um, (laughs) and then rapid fire, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? 
I think it needs just going back to my ecosystem is it really needs that ecosystem. It needs all of the stakeholders to be in the same place at the same time, driving the car the same direction. Yeah. It's, How do we uh, get that ecosystem, by the way? I just want to, I'm willing to extend this to double click on that answer. What do you, when you say ecosystem, you know, fem, we have a virtual community, you know, we have a network of listeners, like mm-hmm. uh, there's conferences now for femtech. What do you, when you say ecosystem, is there something in your mind that pops up? I think it's all of that, but I think it's still new. I think sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you're not getting the biggest players at the table, you're still seeing the smaller ones and you don't always see, you know, some of the government officials and the like, there are grants and things for, for you. I think you taught me this for women's health in different ways. And I just think that it's, it's, it's tough when not all of the necessarily the key stakeholders are around the table. There's always other ways too, is customer demand, right. In terms of, Customers can start demanding these things. It just takes it takes time. And um, look, we see the demand trends. We see a ton of companies doing a lot of really great things, and we would love the opportunity to to hear from them um, in the right life cycle stage. <laughs> yes, yeah. If you are preceded, please don't email Marissa. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to take it. I just may not respond. And then I'm going to feel really, really bad. You, you are really good at responding. You like replied to all the reminder emails. I was like, she's an inbox zero woman. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Marissa, you're amazing. I enjoy you so much. You are filled with so much wisdom about things that I don't know. And I love that. So I love being around someone that I'm like, ah, what world do you work in? Like, what is this? So this is so great. Thank you, Marissa, so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and for providing your wealth of knowledge to me as well. Thank you for listening to my interview with Marissa Bell, the Vice President of Private Equity at ClearVest. To learn more, go to clearvest.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Femtech Focus newsletter, join our virtual community, and follow us on social media. Share the show with a friend and continue to advocate for women's health innovation because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.